It's the internet, you're busy, so let's do this. Welcome to the Games Beat Decides podcast. It's the podcast where we decide everything about video games so you don't have to think about it yourself. I'm your, I'm your host, Jeffrey Grubb. With me is Mike Minotti. Hey, it's Mike Minotti. And we also have that beautiful guest, Bob Gardner. Say hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Now, real quick, I want to say I'm glad I'm joined by a couple of cool dudes this week because my air conditioner is broken and I'm very hot. Oh, I'd be miserable. I'd be very upset. I, oh. I'm, I'm both of those things. I'm miserable. I'd be, I'd be like, more upset than you even somehow. You know what? It's mind over matter. And if yeah. I start if I start going uh, down the drain, I'm going to go all the way You should think down. about it. You should just yeah, sit there and think about how hot it is and how like other people aren't hot and how it's Listen, not fair. We should really dwell is what we yeah. should do. Uh, and really think about how it's up to my landlord to get this fixed. And so I'm not very optimistic at all. Oh, it's happening. Okay. In today's episode, we're going to go over the week's news. We're going to be talking about parody holding back the Xbox One. And then at the end, uh, after our major discussion here, we're going to have an interview with sci-fi author and game designer Austin Grossman and Intel VR evangelist Kim Pallister about the far-flung future of VR. So stick around for that at the very end. First, though, I want to thank everybody for joining us. So you can get more from me and Mike at gamesbeat.com. Email the podcast if you have anything to say at games plus podcast at venturebeat.com. That's the plus sign. You can also get us at Twitter at, at gamesbeat or at GB Decides. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere else, and review us there because it helps us get a bunch more listeners, which is important. So, yeah, let's kind of dive right into what we've been up to personally over the last couple of weeks. Bob, it's been a little little while since we had you on. Why don't we start with you? Is there, I guess at first, I mean, any thoughts on E3? I know we're kind of getting uh, some separation there, but if you want to share anything on that, I'd love to hear. I mean, lots of cool announcements, lots of great games coming. The single most hyperbolic hype curve I've ever had for a game for... I can't remember its name now. Uh, cyberpunk game, the last, the, la- <laughs> the last night, I think, is what it is. That's the one. Yeah, and, and my hype curve did literally that. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, I'm trying. I'm, I'm building myself back up on it a little bit because I know I. So I, one of the stories I don't think I've told yet is I saw the PR team that was representing that game on the last night of E3. And I have never seen anybody look so tired in my entire life. I've been going to E3 a long time. And I've seen some people look very tired in, in Los Angeles for that show. But I have never seen anyone who looked like they were run through the ringer like these guys. So I started yeah. to feel like, oh, there are other people affected by this. And I'm going to like, I need to just put that in my mind a little bit to help me maybe get back on the game side a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to keep looking at it um, because I've been a huge fan of everything cyberpunk related since I was like t- 12 or 13 um and that's never really changed so like yeah i'm gonna keep watching we'll see what happens yeah anything else from the show um not actually from the main show but like some of the side events that kind of went on around it like some of the little pr announcements um like the hitman franchise getting a new lease of life on account of its uh oh yes Yep. Going indie. Exactly. Exactly. Very excited about that. Um, which, given the feelings I aired about Hitman in the last show I was on, um, yeah, I'm super excited. Oh, nope, I think lost we've lost Mike. He should still be on the uh, audio. You still I'm there, Mike? There. Okay. Well, just bring your video back up when you can. We'll be all right. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm super 
excited to hear that Hitman's going to survive a lot, and the season two is going to come, and that IO Interactive still has the rights to that. They haven't talked about talked about the rights to any of their other games. Like I wonder if they still have Mini Ninjas, but clearly Agent Forty Seven was the the thing they had to come away with, and I'm really glad that they did. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm both simultaneously excited and scared to hear that Horizon Zero Dawn is going to be a longer franchise. Um, excited because I thought the universe was really cool and it was mm-hmm. easily one of the best console games I've played in a while. Scared because uh, games companies are really good at beating dead horses. Yeah, but I mean, it's early enough. Like we can at least get a couple more of these. And I think I, th- I think so. Open ended ending too, without giving anything away. So you know, it's all right. I I could take I could take Horizon Zero Dawn DLC and Horizon Two. Yeah, I'm yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm playing near right now, but uh, Horizon's the game I'm going to catch up on uh, next since we have this this little bit of a summer lull right now, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've heard, and I think Bob, you might even have been one of the people that said this uh, when you were on last time, is that the, that game ended really strongly and very definitively uh, in a way that you would be very happy if that's how the if the, the story overall ended. Um, I think it but, ends strongly. I don't know if it ends definitively. Maybe okay. Of course, I'm sure they left it open in some ways. Again, I haven't experienced myself, but I've heard repeatedly that people were happy with the way it ended to the point where if the story didn't pick up again anywhere else, they would be fine. Oh, that's fine. Oh, that's just you know, yeah, that's just good, a good idea for anything, right? Um, so so yeah, I I can see why some people are maybe skeptical, but yeah, we we knew this was coming. I mean, Bob, you knew it was coming, right? Yeah. Uh, Other things I'm interested in, um, I think everybody probably is as well. Anthem. Um, mm-hmm. oozes oozes style and at the end of the day who doesn't want to be Iron Man um, <laughs> as I was more of a Captain America fan <laughs> <laughs> shut up Mike always has to be one um, what else I think they're probably the, 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 the biggest things that I get excited about I've, I've been around gaming for so long now that sequelitis means that like you know it's FIFA 18, it's Madden 18, it's another Need for Speed game. You get kind of less excited about them. Yeah, it's unavoidable, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I it do, doesn't mean they're not going to be good. Is it, isn't it depressing that like it's actually not the 18th Madden? Like There have actually been more than that. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. And it's not to say those games aren't going to be great, and it's not to say those games aren't going to be fun, but it, it's the hype. Again, it's the hype, right? Like You, yeah. you kind of you, you get a bit inured to the hype. Yeah, you want to be excited about those things because it's fun to be excited and it's a little bit more difficult sometimes. I think I'll say that uh, many of the games that were part of franchises and that are sequels, I think some of the companies did a really good job of explaining why you should be excited about them this year. Um, you know, Mario's a good example of that. I think Sony did a pretty good job with like God of War. I uh, came away feeling a lot more excited after watching that trailer like the third or fourth time recently. I'm like, yes, okay, I see exactly what they're doing here and I'm into it. Um at the same time, like I think that maybe some of the new games, like Days Gone, it's like the more I see that, the more like the less excited I get. So I don't know. There's a weird balance there of showing new stuff and showing uh, sequels that it's it's probably hard to strike exactly. Like the the as, as mentioned earlier, the hype curve on the last night. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I, then we could probably put the the E3 show to bed for the next fifty weeks or so. Hopefully, well, yeah. probably less than that. But uh, so we can move on. But but why don't we talk about a little bit about uh, what we've been playing? Uh, Bob, again, why don't you start here? 
Um, so it's been about a month since I was last on, and I don't know exactly how many hours are in a month, but I'm pretty sure I've sunk a significant volume of them into Factorio. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought the game really early on in its life because it's right up my street. Like, like it is my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really get into it. Um, and then I was watching videos on YouTube. As this is where I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. And um, they just released the 0.15 patch. And I'm like, oh, go on. I'll reinstall it and give it a go. And then all of my evenings vanished for a month. <laughs> so, okay. Wait, why, why don't you explain what Factorio is? Because I think it's one of those games that a lot of people might still not be aware of. I have a vague idea and a vague desire to pick it up myself. But I also see those YouTube videos and I'm like, this might be good enough for me at a certain point. Because they're making these really complex like songs and like computational buildings and stuff. And I'm I'm like, I want to do that. I'll never do that. Yeah. I am nowhere near that level of playing the game. Um, So what what are you doing in it? Mega bases. So Factorio is basically, it's like a real time strategy game. Okay. So if you imagine an RTS where you have, you know, some portion of base building and you have like some portion of unit control, and all of the modern kind of games have gone heavily down that unit control front. Factorio says, nah, nah, that's not a thing. It strips out all of the unit control and most of the combat and says, let's just focus on the base building. So it's basically a pipeline and factory building game. So if you like building massive complex systems that just like... Uh, like a ballet of machinery, I guess would be the best way to put it. You'll like Factorio. It's it's building huge factories, building huge mining depots, building complex rail networks with trains that move all from one place to another. And I promise it's a lot more interesting than it sounds when I start talking about trains. No, yeah, um, it, people have been, like I said, I've been watching these videos and they, it seems super fascinating. Uh, but the the core has escaped me until you just kind of explained it right there. I'm like, okay, now... That does sound something like I would really enjoy, just the base building of an RTS. So, yeah. That, yeah, that's, and, and, and that's what it is. It it's like someone went, okay, I, I liked StarCraft 2, but I'm bad at micro. What does a macro-focused RTS look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, hell, I mean, I know enough programming that I even tried to make one myself. And after about six months, I went, wait a minute, I'm just making Factorio. Have you <laughs> ever played the Anno games? You know, I haven't. Um, I don't know if this is... Ki- it sounds kind of like that to me. And I've, I I don't play a lot of strategies, but I played Anno. Um, which, again, it was... It has some, like, military unit stuff, but it's, it's like, mostly it's base building. city building. Yeah, it's like yeah. Ubisoft city building, but also a lot of base building games. Right. It's it's closer to, like... I guess it's closer to a StarCraft than to a SimCity, but... Okay. Yeah, but it kind of was like that. Showing my age, the only one of those that I remember the name of, because I just checked it on Wikipedia, the only one of those I remember the name of was Anno 1602, which hmm. apparently came out in 1998. <laughs> the one I played was the uh, futuristic one, whatever it was called. Uh, 2049 or something Some like Some yeah. fancy year, yeah. yeah. So, so the other game that I've been playing, uh, which I only really, I mean, like I have sank so much time into Factorio this last month that I played almost nothing else, like a bit That'll of Overwatch. Happen. Yeah. Um, the last week, uh, I decided I wanted to play something a bit different. So I picked up Salt and Sanctuary. Um, 
And I played that for a grand total of about four hours before I went <laughs> flip table. Yeah. Um, this is so, yeah, the, the Dark Souls like side scroller. Yeah, it, it's basically 2D Dark Souls, right? Mm. And the gameplay is interesting. The leveling system is good. It's super stylish. I really like the game, but I can't play it. Right? I'm like, I don't know whether it's reflexes. I don't know whether it's willingness. I don't know whether it's age. But the truth is, I'm just not good at games that get really hard. Right? Like, I bought Bloodborne. I bought Dark Souls. I can't disagree with anyone who says these are really good games, because they are. But I... I only have a limited amount of video game playing time in my day, and I want to to spend it playing something that isn't so hard it makes me want to tear my own hair out so like how are, how are you on those kind of dark souls games like have you i know you played bloodborne did you play yeah see, well I, yeah i have that's not my issue i actually do appreciate the difficulty thing because i guess i'm kind of in the other camp I'm, I'm in the back in my day games were hard kind of camp where i i, I kind of think some games are too easy now and i get it yeah. because you know for some people they're not you know they're they're so hard that you can't even enjoy them anymore so I get what that is. My thing with Dark Souls was I don't even know what it is because I don't I, I I find it difficult, but I can get through it. I don't know why I just don't quite love those as much as other people. But I haven't tried Soul and Sanctuary. It's something that I think I would like. I goth you know, part of it is just that the whole kind of gothic uh, fantasy horror thing really isn't necessarily my jam, aesthetically speaking. So, I love me some gothic horror. See, yeah, I'm more <laughs> like give me some give me some bright colors and uh, clouds with faces on them or something. But uh, it, it's just so I played games back then when games were just super hard all the time mm-hmm. and they were super hard for a reason. Right. They were super hard because they wanted you to pour money into a machine. That, and, and I feel like that's not necessarily something we should be emulating. Well, I guess I mean, yeah, but then the stage after that, with the NES and stuff, right, it, it wasn't really about that anymore. Now games are just hard because maybe they weren't as long as a 30 hour RPG. How, how is a. $60 product going to keep you busy. Well, it's because you have to play it a while to kind of get good at it. But to me, that is kind of like the fun thing is this kind of the learning curve in, in all this stuff, as opposed to just uh, going on autopilot. Like we're going to talk about near in a second. Cause Jeff liked it really. My only big complaint with that game is that it had a normal mode that was way too easy. And then a hard mode that was an actual hard mode and like no real kind of normal. No curve. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I feel like there is a place for both. No, for I'm sure. Trying to see, I'm trying to see how I like my relationship to those games is weird as well, where I definitely like difficulty. I mean, one of the things I like about, you know, player unknowns battlegrounds is that it's going to, it's very, very, very difficult to get first place in that right. game. But the competitive games because, is always a, have an inherent difficulty, which is right. Nice. But I think that's the difficulty that I really, really respond to. And then when mm-hmm. I'm going up against um, a defined difficulty of try to figure out how this game works, uh, bash yourself up against it and change based on how it wants you to change uh, that I, I have a much more difficult time uh, sort of finding fun. I, I never beat bloodborne. I, I didn't even get that far into it. Although I played I it like maybe 20, 20 hours. Good. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I, think I, I, think I probably would have got to a point. Yeah, I think I would have got to a point where I was good at it, but I, I just sort of lost the thread eventually and never went yeah. back. I, I, but like, but it's completely the opposite with competitive games where I'm like, I am willing to figure this out because 
I don't, to me, it's more interesting, although I understand that's just me. Yeah, I don't know why. To me, it's like, oh, uh, like the idea of like, I could like go beat Ninja Gaiden and it'll be interesting just because it's hard. Like, I don't know why that appeals to me and why that is just fun to me, kind of getting over those challenges. Ninja but... Gaiden. Ninja Gaiden. So, I, I Ninja, really Gaiden. Like that. Uh, Ninja I, Gaiden. I don't even necessarily know that it's about difficulty, right? Because mm-hmm. one of the games that I enjoyed the most in the last couple of years was uh, XCOM and XCOM 2. Sure. Because I played everything that could ever claim to be a UFO clone. Um,. And I played those on Impossible Iron Man, like, and completed both of them on Impossible Iron Man because in those you can you have the time to think and you have the time to respond to that difficulty. Yeah, Yeah. it's that twitch based kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, some people we just all have our uh, our kind of like we all have our things are better than others. I just can't do real time strategy games in general, but I'm usually fine at like platforming or action or whatever. Bob, I think you should try Dead Cells. Uh, that's uh, maybe a little bit, a little bit easier, uh, but it has a lot of the same. That's the sci-fi. Uh, yeah, it's the sci-fi. Isn't it strange how Dark Souls just became a genre? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, like, it just happens. Like eventually, we just get to a point where we just stop saying Doom clone. We stop saying, um, you know. Uh, Mario clone or whatever, and we just start calling it whatever it is. We'll do that with Dark Souls clones. Eventually. I guess, like, because we'll there, there really that. isn't a, there isn't like some kind of fancy name you could put on it. You can't even do a Metroidvania with it, which even then was like yeah. two games. There's nothing Dark even that Ball. nice. Darkborn, mm-hmm. but yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I, let's, uh, Mike. Why don't we jump to you for uh, any games you've been playing recently? Um, yeah, kind of going back to the, so like I, I beat Near Automata, which was was great, and I've talked about that at length. I think you're going to talk about it. Yeah, just so, a little bit, really. Quick. So now, kind of before, like I get into like another really big long thing. Um, my for my first plan was to go play Wolfenstein: The uh, New Order before the sequel comes out. And I got that in the Steam sale. But before Good I could choice. start that, yeah, before I could start that up, I got like kind of into an argument with my friend. That uh, spurred me to play Super Mario 64 again, which was also spurred on just by looking forward to Odyssey. But like right. we were watching a speed run of Yoshi's Island, and we were having fun. I was like, "Isn't it weird how this game only came out a year before Mario 64?" Because you, know, you go from like this kind of you know 2D thing to Mario 64. He's like, "Yeah," and Yoshi's Island is way better. Ooh. I was like, "Well, I don't, I don't know about all that." He's like, "No, Mario 64 is a bad camera." Then I just I started getting like belligerently upset. <laughs> about how Mario 64 had like the first camera cut it a little slack. Also, the camera's fine, and maybe there's the some adult thing to do. Right? Yeah, maybe there are some games where like we don't need to like say, "Well, here's what's wrong with Mario 64." It's like saying, "Like, well, actually, Star Wars has these problems," and let me tell you what like the little no, just watch Star right. Wars and have fun. <laughs> uh, so the show isn't in color, right? So in the show, my little just went over and like turned on Mario 64 and was like playing, like, "Look how much fun this is! Camera's fine. This is great." And now I'm just like 45 stars in, and it's just <laughs> still so much fun. I so, never got 120 stars before, so I think I'm going to do that now. Oh, really? Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, definitely go for it. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I beat it back when it came out, and I, I played through it a few times since. I just never got all 120, so I think that's what I'm going to be working on this time. So I am clearly deep in enemy territory here. Because uh, there was a console war, and uh, my, my side won. Uh-oh. Like... I'm Sonic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. Sonic won. Oh Wait. Okay. Listen. I was actually on the Sega side of that console war as a kid, and I can tell you, they did not win. There were many tears to be had. So don't you go rewriting history of it. I was literally arguing with my wife like last night about Mario versus Sonic. So this is. Uh, I don't know why this keeps coming back up. Um, 
Yeah, but no, you're wrong. That's insane. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm being hyperbolic, obviously. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, of course. But I'll, I want to hear your reasoning real quick if you got it. If you have um, anything in the in the old holster there. Uh, no, no I, I really don't. Mario, Mario's a better <laughs> game than Sonic. Um, yeah, no. But I, I never owned an N64. And because it's relevant to the conversation you had later, I never owned a SNES. I never owned a NES. I never owned a Game Boy. I did have a Game Gear, a Master System, a Mega Drive, a Saturn, and I clearly, after the Saturn, hadn't taken enough of a whipping, so I also bought a Dreamcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, at least you, like, at this point, you could say I was one of the people that had a Dreamcast. That, there's some, uh-huh. there's some I was one of the people there. who rented Street a Dreamcast early from Hollywood Video. Oh, yeah, there That's you go. That's what I was. Yeah. Uh, they're good systems. Uh, and I, I still miss Sega, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump in. Yeah. What I've been playing real quick. And then we, I think Bob's got one, one or two more, maybe. Uh, yeah. Near real quick. I just, I started it. I played maybe the first two hours. I definitely, I mean, you told me it was a shmup, Mike, but even then, even when I had you like multiple, I think I had you explain it a couple times. Yeah, like, you, you don't get it. Yeah. You don't get it until you play it. It's literally a shmup. And there's, because you see the, the screenshots and it's all 2B running around kicking by like yeah, a it just looks like It looks like Bayonetta or something. Yeah. And, and then you, I'm like, oh no, like there's shmup levels and then the, the combat still has like a lot of shmup elements. It's it's weird. One thing I'm really surprised me was how the camera moves uh, from like the top down perspective to a side to yeah. a side scrolling perspective to the 3D combats pr- perspective. And it does it really fluidly and it never feels it never feels like the game's taking control away from you. It's just like, here's another fun thing to do. Um, I really respect that. Although the save system, you know, bit me in the ass the first time I got sure. through that very first section. I didn't save. And so I had to play it all over again, which is yeah, something you I were just so used to auto saves these days. And yeah. Nope. And it, I like when you talk to the person, the first, the first person actually explains it. They say like four or five times, the game has no auto save. And they like, <laughs> like very like clear that. about oh. it. They're yeah. trying to help you. Yeah. <laughs> Did you so. kind of get to the more open worldy area? That- just, just, just kind of got there. I'd be really interested to hear the developer's reason for not including an autosave. Same as the yeah, Salt sure Sanctuary developers for not including a map. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the reason is, but it makes sense. This is one of those games I like so much, you just kind of trust them. I, I, I think they knew what they were doing uh, in a way. I mean, there, there is kind of an in-story thing where, like, you're robots, right? And you kind of, like, you have, like, your, you have to, like, literally save your memory and when you die it gets uploaded to like a new robot body and kind of like uh freaking uh dark souls you have to kind of find your body if you die which Hmm. happened to me like maybe it happened to me two times in the 60 hour game mostly towards the end of it so that's that's a blast from the past very everquest everquest god <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyhow, I'm really enjoying it. I, I think I'm sure there's been a million interviews with the uh, Yoko Taro, the developer of Nier. I'm sure he's explained it somewhere, but I, I don't have that answer. Like, off I'm excited end. for you to like if you beat this, talk to you about it. There's something. Yes. They do something really neat with the ending that was besides just being a good ending. There was like there's neat things happening. Yeah, I started putting my baby to sleep like much earlier now, and I'm like <laughs> Steph. Wants just to so you can play there. video games. Well, yeah. Now I'm like, hey, I have some time at night, and I I just finished Wolfenstein: The New Order because of that, and now I'm going to use that time for near, uh, and so that's going to really start like the, like tonight. Yeah. Uh, but as for Wolfenstein: The New Order, man, people, I I said this on Twitter, but people have got to like hold me down and shake me and say no. It's actually good. You have to play this game immediately instead of letting me wait years before playing a game. Like in, in everyone's defense, everyone was saying it was good. We just yeah, were no, I, they were. But like even like that's what I'm saying. Like people say that, and for some reason it just doesn't get in my head. 
This was like right. a can't miss game. I can't believe I missed it. Like I feel like guilt, like actual guilt. It is so phenomenal. I can't yep. believe that that uh, the machine games. I think not machine zone. I was saying that the other day, like in our meeting, Mike. But it was machine games. A lot of people who made uh, were at, at Starbreeze when they made that um, the the Vin Diesel video games. What are the ones I'm thinking of? Escape from Butcher Bay. Yeah, the, the, uh, the Riddick games. The Riddick games, yes. Like so, there's a, like a lot of a, a lot of talent there. They were doing really smart things with first person games for years. They've the come over machine games. games. Yeah, the darkness, and now they've made this just really great story based uh, first person action game that has a, a lot of variety to what you're doing in from level to level, uh, a ton of variety. And then somehow at the same time, the characters and the writing are so good. And, and that's something I normally I never would feel about uh, uh, most video games, especially a game like this. Uh, but they strike a really good tone where uh, B.J. Blazkowicz is the, you know, the grizzled veteran of war. And he's like, oh, man, this sucks. It's like really terrible out there. But he's also charming and really lovable. And he's got this really great relationship with this Anya character that uh, was also believable. And they have like a really elegant sex scene, which I've never seen in a game Whoa. before. There's like two Those of all, them. Is there always a disaster? always mm. and it's like no i really felt it this time this is this is great like oh, how they're pulling it. this off oh i felt <laughs> it yeah oh i felt it no but it was it was phenomenal um so I, i'm as soon as i finished it too i went and i, I watched i rewatched the wolfenstein 2 trailer and it's great to see how they are bringing all the characters forward and now i fully understand why that trailer was good even though i liked it the first time it's like oh no this is really excellent so yeah I, i'm so hyped on that game i, I again i'm just Sad I took so long to finally play it. So it took me a while to get around to playing it as well. And I feel like what happened, at least for me, was all the media were telling me that it was great. But then the people around me were just like, oh, no, it's not going to be good. Don't play this. It's going to be trash. Yeah. Uh, and then I clearly should just ignore these people because they're wrong. <laughs> they're bad influences. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, all these like Bethesda pure first person shooters have been very good lately. Doom's, Doom is, I felt the same way about Doom. I, I might like this game even better than Doom, although that's tough. I, I, I think I need more distance before I decide how I feel for sure on both those games. Doom's very good as well. I will say, I run very hot and cold on Bethesda recently. Um, yeah. I love Wolfenstein. I love Doom. Dishonored 2 didn't do it for me. Prey no, was kind of the same thing. I, I, I get why people like both those games. There's a lot of, uh, of high-quality design going into both of them. For me, it was just rather cold especially on dishonor 2 um so it's, it's kind of it's such a weird thing and it also seems like those are uh games that aren't in its core you know elder scrolls line that they don't necessarily know how to sell as well and i think mm-hmm. i think they're figuring out with wolfenstein 2 it seems like there's a lot of hype there's a, like a lot of people going back to play the new order this time because that trailer was so good at their e3 event um and i hope they kind of figure that out because i know prey didn't sell very well um which is a bummer it's a very good game uh even though i know i, I personally didn't love it there's a lot there to like. Um, yeah, for, for me, yeah, that, those are the two I've been playing. Uh, Bob, anything else before we move one, on to the one new more, section? which uh, yeah. I only bring up because it's the exact opposite of the Salt and Sanctuary argument that we, discussion, I should say, that we were having earlier on. Um, I've gone back and started playing Star Wars: The Old Republic again. Hey. Um, I do this thing where I go from MMO to MMO to MMO, desperately trying to rekindle my MMO love that I experienced back in Vanilla WoW and back with City of Heroes, for those that remember that amazing oh, game. I remember City of Heroes. Um, 
so I decided, because I'd flipped the table at Salt and Sanctuary and I wanted something story-based to play, to give Star Wars The Old Republic a go. And I'm really enjoying it. Like, I am shocked by how much I'm enjoying it. It's a little microtransaction heavy, but um, the game's actually aged really well. The game's great. This is what I keep hearing. People that, everyone who plays it really likes it. Uh, um, it's one of those I've never tried. I know Mike. I played it like when it already. came out for a bit right. and um, it, it was, it was, it was fun, but I kind of had a problem that a lot of those games have where after a while, I'm like, I'm just going to play World of Warcraft again. Yeah. Right. I have a funny feeling I might do the same thing, but I'm also a bit burnt out on Legion. So I don't know. Um, well, yeah, it's, I mean, we're at that part of the cycle now. With, yeah. You know, with that expansion. So, so my recommendation right. would be it's free to play for like the main, the main plot anyway give it a shot um and then the other thing i was going to say as well is i'm really running out of interesting games to play that aren't just painfully hard um <laughs> so somebody tweet me suggestions um at big bob gardner you on one. twitter yes yeah, that's else yeah, yes yeah at you said at big bob gardner i, I did I at big bob gardner okay. um and my wife will probably like dead cells as well Yes, I like that game a lot. Uh, it's 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 solid, especially if, if Salt and Sanctuary was too difficult. I think that'll fit in perfectly. Okay, uh, let, let's hop into the news. Let's keep it going. Um, so uh, the first thing we're just get this get this out of the way really quickly because we're going to discuss it more uh, in the second half of the show. But Nintendo announced the SNES Classic, the Super Nintendo. Kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, we, we knew it was coming, but it's this this it's kind of one of the things you thought they might just put in their E3 show, but you know they're going to own the news day today, so you can see why they didn't. Yeah, it makes uh, sense. It, I mean, they had E3 covered. Eighty dollars, twenty-one games. Um, we'll discuss it more soon. I, Including Star I, Fox too. Yeah, uh, an unreleased game. Of, yes. Maybe yeah. I need to correct my not owning a SNES. Oh. I think this is. A, I think this is perfect for well everyone because I mean me and Mike we want them because we remember it fondly. This is, can fill in the gaps in your knowledge. So uh, yeah, there's a million reasons to own something like this. Even though I own these games in a million other formats, I you know I play them on an emulator. I think it's been long enough where you could just I say that yeah I do that sometimes. Um, so they're coming after you now. I know I'm still going to buy this thing though. So they, they know how to sell it still. Um, the other, the, okay. So yeah, moving on from that, like I said, we'll discuss it more in the second half of the show. IO interactive. We discussed this a little bit, uh, Hitman, it's independent. And one of the first things the developer did was update the game to remove the Denuvo, uh, anti theft, anti piracy software. Um, this is something that's happening more and more frequently. Um, like once a game reaches a certain point, developers are just, taking it out to make it more uh, more consumer-friendly. I've never encountered a situation ever in my life where Denuvo has caused problems with me playing a game. Uh, so I, I don't know what the reason is people want it removed. I'm sure there are other circumstances people are trying to play offline in certain situations. Uh, but I guess it's still, it's good that they're doing this. Um, it, it, it may just be down to licensing, right? Like the, the, the novel yes, license might belong life. to the old parent company and now yeah. it's not valid anymore. Uh, they could replace it with something else. Ideally hope they don't. Yeah. Oh, and we've lost, lost Mike's lost video, video game. Yeah. I'm oh, well. still here. Yeah. It's your shoddy Ohio connection, Mike. Um, my um, internet's fine. I don't know why I'm disconnecting the dumb thingy. I think it's the dumb thingy's fault. Yes, it's always the dumb thingy's fault, but the dumb thingy in this situation is you. No. <laughs> Burn. Um, moving on. Sean Layden said there will be a PlayStation 5. The smartphone, what? Uh, the smartphone style approach will not take over. 
Okay, big surprise there. Yeah, what does that mean? So, so basically, what they're so basically what they're saying is, don't worry, we're not going to only make smartphone games in the future. We're going to have a place. Like, who thought? Do people think that was happening? Maybe. I, I, I think. No I mean, idea. it's it might be the kind of thing that like analysts were saying maybe a year or two ago. I, uh, I feel like Mike. Michael Pactor was saying, oh. oh, eventually you're going to have a, such a powerful phone that you plug it into your TV and it will replace your console. Uh, well, like a Switch. I mean, <laughs> like the Switch. Yeah, I'm saying. like, I think we've seen with the PlayStation 4 sales and now the Switch sales that there are very specific uh, people and uh, reasons to own a dedicated console. And that's just going to keep happening. So, yes, surprise, there will be a PlayStation 5. Yeah, I, no, I mean, the question shocked. is, is there going to be, a, yeah, is there going to be an iteration between the pro and the five. I think there probably will be another iteration before that. Um, maybe, maybe the places afford pro mini. I mean, sometimes there's always like that weird little one. They announce like right when they also announce a new one, right? Like kind of get yeah. your, uh, your last money. Then that's where the, remember the PlayStation one. Yeah. No, oh no, yeah, yeah. 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 That was a cute little thing. Yeah, it just it still feels like this uh, generation. Although the generation is starting to feel a little bit older than it was a little bit ago. I mean, it, it is like early on. four years old now. No, yeah, but then PlayStation gen- PlayStation generations, console generations used to be like ten years, and now they just aren't. They used to be five years. I, I used to, to think I used to think they were five years, but they were longer early on. And then I think the middle period it was five years between systems, and then the last one was like eight years. Yeah, yeah, maybe, last one maybe was I'm, long. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking. So it, it's, I mean, the last uh, one was longish, but I mean, this I'm sure this one will go at least as long as the last one, if not longer, yeah. for sure. So I'm sure so we're yeah, still we're halfway got some time. through. Yeah, if that's the case, in which case I would expect another iteration. I mean, as I'm not against the idea either. Like, I I'm a predominantly PC gamer. I still have a PlayStation Four. I still have a console because yeah. sometimes you just want to play a game on your sofa, on your TV, with a pad. Yeah, and it's and a lot less faff. That's what you have the SNES Classic Edition for, though, now. That's all you need. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds passes 4 million sales in three months. You're going to get this game on here every week somehow. I think I've already (laughs) mentioned it a couple times. Yeah, I mean, good game, though. I am Bob's entire lack of surprise. (laughs) Yes. I I think the thing is uh, that, I mean, it's not surprising to me either at this point, but it's selling faster. It's, It's picking up more and more pace uh, it's going vi- it's, it's gone viral yeah um in a way that i mean maybe games like daisy and and rust and arc have done before but there, there's more Not momentum for this game than even this, those. Though. Not as yeah. much as this no so, yeah this this is passed uh, into the territory of i'm going to play this because everybody i know is playing this right yeah. which i think a lot of people are doing yep yep uh Keeping the pace going here, uh, Leon Kennedy and Claire Redfield's voice actors have been replaced for the Resident <laughs> Evil 2 remake. No! They feature non-union, non-union actors instead. Uh, I mean, this I, keeps happening too. I mean, I don't think these two characters have consistently had the same voice actors forever they anyway, have. right? But still, I feel bad. I like I mean, Matt sure. <laughs> It's probably not great. It's, you know. Yeah, it's it's weirder. Like, the, the Life is Strange thing is weirder because it's only one of those games and like, here's the sequel and it's kind of a talky game anyways. You're just replacing the voice of the main character. And you're doing it for cl- very clear reasons. You just don't right. want to deal with the union. And I mean, it, it, it's kind of getting, uh, it's going to be bigger, bigger deal as bigger and bigger games get hit with this. Um, sure. And if it keeps happening with stuff like this, uh, it's going to reach ahead. Uh, I'm starting to feel weird about it. Like, uh, do I cross the picket line to buy these games? I, I, you know, it's something I know. Were, were you, were you all that concerned about the uh, Resident Evil 2 remake anyway? 
No, no, you're right. Uh, I wasn't. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about it now and specifically because of this. You know, it might sure. be the situation with a game in the future where this could happen. So, How, it's, how, how do you deal with the moral repercussions? Yeah, or do yeah, you deal with it? I suppose is question number one. Uh, and, and number two is, how do you feel about it? And do you buy a game if you disagree with the moral stance of the, the developer yeah. or the Yeah, and it, I, I'm always weird about that because I, if I dig deep, I'm sure I could find moral and political disagreements with any person I've ever bought anything from, period. Probably. Yeah, sure. uh, it's just when it's, um, I don't know, but, there's a very clear unions, debate man. about this. Yeah. The unions. Yeah. I, know, I, I know you people are a few unions. I'm, I'm, right. I'm British, <laughs> which means the word union doesn't have quite the same laden yeah, tone we, to me. Uh, that's your sworn enemy, the, the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and in my family, if, if I said that I would cross a picket line, my, my dad would crawl out of the grave and try and lynch me. No, oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm starting to feel a little bit more guilty about these kinds of things. I don't know. I, I think it will become more of a problem for more people, and maybe that'll be enough to change the minds uh, at these companies. What, what, if the, what if the new oh, people good. do a better job, though? Won't that be awkward? Yeah, it's always a possibility, but yeah, I, I, it, I think right, it, yeah. even if they're good enough, like, the like let's offer, I mean, look, David Hayter didn't come back to to uh, do saw our uh, snake for Microsoft Five, even without a. Uh, you know that reason uh, with unions yeah. and stuff, and ultimately people they they said they cared. They ultimately didn't care. They all bought it. Yeah, although there was very little actual voice acting in that game for me. Right, which is very strange. But yeah, yeah. yeah. we don't need to talk about Metal Gear Solid Five. Yeah, um, let's see. Zinimax is demanding Oculus hot sales or pay a twenty percent royalty for breaking NDA on the uh, the Rift. Uh, this is the ongoing court battle. I think more recently than this, the court, the judge is like, Hey, you two have to stop this. Like come to a decision, final decision. Uh, we need to like put an end to your, like the, the court fighting that you two have going on. Uh, I kind of think it's nuts that like Zenimax thinks it can actually make this demand. Like breaking the NDA is one thing, but that has nothing to do with, with the ability to create the product and then sell the product. Uh, in, re- in reality, Zenimax lost that case. Yes, oh. they, they found that Homeboy broke the NDA, and that's what, why they pay, had to pay the money. But all the other stuff, where Zenimax said that uh, Oculus had to steal all the tech to make it, I, that was the, it the definitely court seems specifically like Z- said that didn't happen. Zenimax should be happy with what it got at this point and kind of just back off a little bit. Also, twenty percent royalty is ridiculous. Well, like, I, I I work in the tech industry where IP licensing is a thing that happens every day. Right, um, mm-hmm. and twenty percent is not even close to a reasonable number. Yeah, it's not. It, it's so unreasonable that it doesn't feel like the first step in a negotiation. It feels yeah, like it's not even that. It, it's just like it's not good faith. Yeah, yeah. It feels like uh, the the hell with you number. Right, These like, guys we're actually like trying to other. stop you from selling this number. Yeah, um, which is it, it's weirder and weirder. But these, I mean, all that's going to happen is it's going to end up. Yeah dragging itself through the courts right because there's mm-hmm. no way anyone from facebook looks at 20 percent royalty and oh, goes yeah. oh yeah that's reasonable yep or hot sales that's not an option either no so, yeah. like so, i don't see how this ends well for xenomax but yeah, again they, they, personal opinion those where they definitely will lose yeah I, at least yeah i'm not a lawyer but it seems like they already lost once uh, and they're just trying to play it off like they didn't um okay i think that's going to do it for this first segment um it's time to say goodbye to Bob. Bob, 
Thank you for joining us. We're going to go to an ad break and come back. So, Bob, yeah, again, you already said your Twitter account one time, but tell everybody everybody where they can find you. So if they do have questions. You can find me on Twitter at Big Bob Gardner. And now you know why it's at Big Bob Gardner. You're you're big and beautiful, Bob Gardner. (laughs) Always and forever in my heart. Thanks, Bob. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, We're going to hit this ad break. Yeah, and we're going to be right back, everybody. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Raise a glass to freedom. Um. Whether developing, playing, or simply hosting games on a server, Intel makes it happen. And Intel wants to make sure the biggest innovations in gaming continue to happen on the PC by giving developers a hand with the Intel Game Dev program. All you have to do is sign up, and Intel will provide the resources necessary to help you continue to innovate and make gaming even more amazing. Head on over to the Game Dev program at software.intel.com slash gamedev to get started. I'm going uh, right is, now. Thank you, Mike. See, Mike, I always think that I'm not very persuasive, but you've changed my mind. I, <laughs> I can persuade go. anyone to do anything. I'm that uh, right that URL, again, is software.intel.com slash gamedev. Um, and, Mike, I, don't, I actually... Your keyboard's very loud. I can hear it when you're typing. So I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. Down. I'm trying to play it cool, but I was just so excited. <laughs> All right. Everyone, everyone, again, that's software.intel.com slash game dev for the Intel game dev program. And we'll be right back. And we are back. Back and live and on the internet. Mike Minotti still with me. Jeffrey hey, Grubb still here. We said goodbye to Bob. Let's get into this. So, Mike. Yo, the Super Nintendo Classic, Uh-oh. eighty dollars. How you feeling? I feel like I'm fantastic about it. I, uh, I mean, there's there's reasons to be cynical because we were all kind of, I mean, not always, but there were some things. But the NES Classic Edition, the product itself was great. Uh, it was a really nice looking device. It had a really snazzy user interface. It had great games, and they all ran uh, very well. The problems with it, the two actual problems, the the controller cable length was short. And supply, so supply issues were abysmal, and that was a logistical huge problems. Yeah, yeah. So that was a huge one. But like the actual thing was great. So for an SNES Classic Edition, um, they, they said the cord's going to be a little bit longer. It's not as long as it should be, but it's a little bit longer. I've written about that on GameSpeed if you want to see that. I even took pictures of uh, what a f- they said it's going to be five feet. So I got like a five feet like tape measure, pulled it out that far, and put it next to like the NES Classic controller stretched out, and then an actual like regular Super Nintendo controller. I was doing some science today, Jeff. Getting your fingernails dirty. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so you know th- that should be fine. Um, it's interesting because like when you look at the when you look at the games, first they're like, oh, there's there's going to be 21 games this time instead of 30, and you almost want to be like, oh man, what a bummer. But you look at the list, and there are very few blind spots or big omissions, and there are some. Let's get really the big cool one out of the way. Chrono yeah. Trigger's not there. Like Chrono yeah. Trigger is probably the only like. It's the only one that's like a little. I don't even know. Surprising is the word because you already have three Square Enix RPGs on here. Uh, you have Final Fantasy three. You have Secret of Mana. Well, that's more action, and you also have mm-hmm. Mario. Um, so, I could see. I could see Square Enix being like, "Hey, uh, you can have Chrono Trigger, but it's actually that one's going to actually cost you more." So we it's know probably it's very expensive because right. you know Square Enix themselves likes to trot these games out and resell them to people. So. Mm-hmm. They're probably only ever going to be so generous with these kind of things. They're not going to give you every Final Fantasy game that came out in the system, or you know, and or Chrono Trigger. Um, so I mean, I don't know. That's it, that's a bit of a bummer, but you could still play that game in your 3DS if you wanted to. You can get that 
DS version that came out. So, yeah, that's like the really only big... There's other things, like you have one of the Donkey Kong Country, you don't have like Donkey Kong Country 2 or 3, and there's like other, like, uh, you don't have... Yeah. You don't have Kirby Dreamland 3, you have Kirby Superstar instead, and stuff like that. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm fine with it. This seems yeah, like pretty I, I, much the essentials, um, but like... I think overall that list looks... Uh, Perfect. I mean, yeah, there's some things missing, but this, I mean, it's such a powerful list of games that uh, even with nine fewer, you look at it and compare it to the NES Classic and, oh yeah, okay, this is way better, actually. This is a huge jump up from the NES Classic. You have all the important first party, like, big hits. You have, like, the big three, Mario World, uh, Link to the Past, and Super Metroid. Then, you know, like, the other big ones, Yoshi's Island, Super Mario Kart, uh, Kirby Superstar, Earthbound even, right? So uh, you have all those. You have really the big third-party hitters, too. You have Mega Man X, Super Castlevania 4, Contra 3, Alien Wars, Final Fantasy 3. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's all the Street Fighter 2, Turbo, Hyper Fighting's there. I mean, yeah, it's just even like some of the things you maybe didn't have to be there, but it's really cool that they are like Kirby's Dream Course. Uh, I love yes. seeing that on there. I wouldn't have necessarily, I ex- yeah, I wouldn't have necessarily have expected Secret of Mana to show up, but, but mm-hmm. there that is. Those are those are games that I would have been like, had they been missing, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I get it. Um, right. I'm really glad the Dream Course made the cut, and even Secret of Mana. Mm-hmm. So, and then I mean, the coolest thing is Star Fox Two is like on this list. Which, very, very strange, but not too surprising. I, uh, Jason, it's surpri- I think it's pretty surprising. Yeah, Jason Wilson, our editor, he was making a, a pretty good point that uh, Nintendo is looking for a reason to convince people who maybe already own these games in other ways to buy this thing. Although, I don't know if they really needed to provide much of a reason after the NES Classic. We were all going to buy it anyhow. But yeah, still, that makes some some amount so, of sense. And if people don't know, so Star Fox 2 was the sequel to Star Fox, which came out on Super Nintendo. Um, it's, it's Star Fox 1 was already kind of a later SNES game. Yeah. Star Fox 2, when they were making it, it was going to be like on the very tail end of that system. Like the, the, the Nintendo 64 was kind of like happening. It was coming out soon. And by the time they pretty much finished Star Fox 2, they were basically just like, no, we don't want to steal the Nintendo 64's thunder by confusing people by having a 3D game on the Super Nintendo. Let's just right. can this <laughs> and start working on Star Fox 64. But the game was done. It, it leaked years later. Uh, you get download like a ROM and play that whole game, which I never have done just because like, I, I don't know. I it's like, I don't, played like, it, I don't, I don't think I ever beat it or anything. I just like couldn't, I could never bring myself to download it, but like, I'm super stoked to just, it's weird. We're going to right. play Star Fox 2 officially released from by Nintendo. N- yeah. Nintendo it's, it's is ready. going to sell tar- Star Fox 2. That is a that's very insane. weird thing at this point. That's, yeah. that's kind of unprecedented. I never, I can't very think of anything cool. like this uh, happening. Yeah, me, me neither. It'd be like a um, Sega suddenly released Sonic Extreme. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, I have a couple questions, Mike. Uh, mm-hmm. Final Fantasy three. That is the American uh, titling system. Yeah. Which makes sense. Cause you're trying to go for, and this is the first time yes. that Square Enix has referred to this game as Final Fantasy three in the West in a long time. So again, uh, Final Fantasy had a weird numbering system in the West for a while. Cause a bunch of the games didn't come out here. So this is the third one released over here, but it's Final Fantasy six in Japan. Um, it's one of the best ones. Uh, it's oh, great. yeah. yeah. My, my only thing with this version is that, like, this this version doesn't have a great translation. Uh, it has a couple bugs. Like, one of the mm-hmm. stats, I think it's evasion or something, it's just not there. <laughs> like, you can equip things that give you evasion, and it just won't do anything. Like, every hit lands. It doesn't matter. I, I feel like Nintendo fixed a couple of bugs uh, in the NES, re- uh, NES classic versions of games 
I wonder well, if they could get the, third parties to do that for something. Like I want because well, the NES the NES version of Final Fantasy One was also pretty buggy. But kind of, okay, so basically, so, my thing yeah, is that there's not. a they made a Game Boy Advance version of Final Fantasy Six, which is kind of like the more definitive version of that game. Right. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna spend thirty hours playing a game, I, I might kind of just want to yeah. play that version of it. I mean, it, 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 Final Fantasy Three kind of have to have it on there, and I get why yeah. you need to kind of have the original version, but. Kind of yeah, I mean, line. there's the other the other side of that coin is that this is the definitive version of Yoshi's Island. Um, Yoshi's Island, there are other ways to play that game, but no, none of them ever feel um, as great as that uh, as playing it on a Super Nintendo, especially oh, yeah. like the Game Boy versions, because the crop screen and everything doesn't work as well because you're you know shooting eggs off in the distance. Um, yeah, there was a lot of like, bad ways to play that game uh, relative to the Super Nintendo version. So I'm glad they it's just the original game. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. Um, Another another question. You so you said it's fine, uh, but really, I mean, when you looked at it, five feet is long enough compared to the three foot cord from before. Uh, long enough is kind of uh, kind of depends on your situation. It's just, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense to me because people are sitting further away from their TVs than ever now. TVs are bigger. Mm-hmm. We have these different setups, so you want the cable to be longer than it used to be, and it's still shorter than it used to be. I, I was measuring the. Uh, original SNES controller cable and it was somewhere between like seven and eight closer to the eight side feet uh this one's gonna be five feet so it's still it's it's significantly shorter it's not I mean the NES classic edition was comically short it was like a joke like I don't understand how anybody tried that and thought yeah this is long enough like (laughs) you literally have to be like standing next to the system for it to work you might still need an extender or like a wireless mm-hmm. solution for this thing. Again, it's better. I don't understand why you just don't. Of all if the you're things make the that happen, anyhow, money. why not just go all the way? Yeah, right. and I mean they're giving people two controllers this time, so the yeah. controllers themselves must not be costing them that much money to make. Right, and they're like, yeah. ah, throw another one in there. What the? Heck? And I highly doubt the cord was the thing adding a ton yeah. of cost to that in the first place. So yeah, right. so weird, weird thing. Still, it's a weird thing. It's it's better. You know, it's like, that's the weird. It's, it's always with Nintendo, right? Like they're always consistently good in some ways, they're always consistently stupid in other ways. But then they're also like fun because they will do these random surprises, right. like Star Fox too. Yes, that a very random surprise. Uh, on that, uh, Star Fox, Star Fox Two. Um, these are games that ran on the Super F- FX chip. I think yeah. Island's the same thing. Yeah. Those are games that have been traditionally hard to emulate. Uh, it, it, uh, do you have any like doubts that maybe they won't run well? Uh, no, not really. I don't know why. Yeah. Like again, you, you talk about how the, you. the things that Nintendo does consistently well. I think porting their old games seem they seem to be pretty good at it. I don't know if mm-hmm. I've tried Yoshi's Island. Like, did they ever make like that on Virtual Console for Wii or Wii? U? I think it's it was um I think it was one of the ambassador games for 3ds so they never sold it which always frustrated me and then i think they did release it for the wii u and it i think it ran okay i think it ran pretty fine it's a yeah I, i'm just wondering about like the hardware that's going to be it's going to be like one of those uh you know raspberry pies or android box yeah. again uh it'll be interesting to see how well that runs a super you, you would say that they could sure figure out how to there. make a, a chip that they made for the super nintendo in the mid-90s yeah, just, uh, yeah plug okay a super now. fx chip into a, in a, a freaking android phone yeah it's like it's apparently it. having a hard time getting genesis games mm-hmm. to run on an iphone 6 so who knows anymore yeah, it's a, a whole thing as well um okay so well, anything else about this super what's, nintendo what's, what do you think is the best game on this list um i mean if i like i'm very excited about Dream Course, so I'm just kind of that's at the top of my mind. But legit, the best game. I mean, Super Metroid. Oh, it uh, is. I mean, probably. I, I, yeah. 
I, I could go for like personally, I'll put a ton of time into Super Punch Out. I love that game. Super Mario World, one of the best games ever. Uh, Link, Link to the Past, again, one of the best games ever. Uh, but personally, I, I think Super Metroid is the game I'll probably play first, and I probably will think that is the best game, yeah. I, even after playing all these back to back once I get the system myself. Which I guess, last question Do you really think uh, that there's going to be uh, a similar kind of shortage as there was to the NES Classic, which is the thing that I think a lot of people are that's the most common thing online right now is, oh, yeah, there's going to be three of them. It'll that's be a joke I've seen 50 uh, times. It's like you still expect it. And it's funny because. What they kept saying was, oh, we didn't know that there was going to be that much demand for it. So we got caught off guard and we only had so much production times. No whatever. excuse this time. There's no excuse this time, you know. And I'm still worried because there, there's some of their wording. Like when somebody asked them, like, are you going to like stop making this? And they're like, they say the same thing. Like, yeah, we have, you know, continued support for our Switch and 3DS platforms. But the SNES system is more of a thing targeted toward nostalgic fans who are passionate it's stop treating this like a niche thing these it's not niche like yeah a lot of people want these you could keep it on store shelves for forever and we would still all be lining up to get it on day one because we know it's still going to be rare so why discontinue it and discontinue it in january like planning to stop to do that that's nuts i don't get it um and then uh yeah like uh, have way more this time because even so, every, the narrative is it's going to be impossible to find. So no matter what, everyone who's even thinking about getting one is going to be trying from day one uh, as hard as they possibly can because they don't want to get left out again or they, they don't or they want to succeed. They don't want to have like a missing hole in their collection where they have the NES Classic and they don't have an, a Super Nintendo Classic. Yeah. So it's still going to it's still going to sell out no they're matter still, how much more they make. They're still going to at some point make another NES Classic Edition version. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't even be shocked if that's what they do next year instead of immediately yeah, jumping totally. to Nintendo 64 Classic Edition. Um, yeah. That will happen at some point. But yeah, again, there's a, there won't be an excuse this time if there's that problem again. Uh, here's another question for you. Do you think do you think the whole virtual console switch thing is pretty much dead at this point? I don't. If they come back out with something like that, I don't think it'll be called Virtual Console. I think they'll probably just start releasing games here and there. Here I mean, and there that's that what they're talking sell. about already is they, they're going to have some old games, like a like two a month for people subscribe to their service. I don't think yeah, it goes um, beyond that. I, I think they will sell those games separately. Maybe. I mean, I guess I don't know how, if that if that's how they're going to be adding them. Maybe not. I mean, it seems insane. Uh, and because we're all going to be buying the $20 service, $20 a year service. Anyhow, uh, because we're all going to want to play a lot of these games online. Like you have to have that. So getting the free games is sort of incidental. So why not give me a way to also buy other games since I'm like, oh, I already got these other ones for free. I might as well, might as well spend that money elsewhere. Um, and if they are discontinuing these these consoles like every year and they're just putting a, a new, they are just making new minis each year, there's still room to sell these games in other formats. I still want to bring them with me on my Super or my Nintendo Switch, my Super Switch. Um so, yeah, I, I hope they do. But you're right. At, at this point, I've never been more uh, doubtful that it will happen than I am right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I always thought it would. But now I'm not now I'm nearly not nearly as sure as I was. Um. Yeah. So I, I think that's going to do it for the Super Nintendo Classic. Any other thoughts, Mike? I, I really want one. And again, it's hard yeah. not to be just like a little simple just because of the NES uh, Classic Edition's problems. But again, the actual product was fantastic this is Just and the super nintendo had an even better game library than the nes have which you, is insane have you modified your nes classic yeah 
Yeah, me neither. I have no interest people, in doing that. Yeah, I know a lot. Of if people, I wanted a Raspberry Pi, I'd get a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, I'm like, I'll just do that. that exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's very cool. You can put all the games on there. It's neat that people figure that out. But no, I I, I want to keep my I want to stay pure, Mike. Yeah, you know yeah. I, that, that's my thing. I always say that on this podcast. I'm Jeff Grubb, and I want to stay pure. You're known for your purity. It's it's your famed <laughs> attribute. Damn right. All right, next topic. We'll, we'll hit this one pretty quickly. But um, is parity holding back the Xbox One X? Um, so just to kind of give people some background on this, and, and Mike, in case you're not fully aware, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Destiny Two is going to be coming out on all the consoles and PC on PC. It will be unlocked. You can get uh, as high a frame rate as you want, along with all the graphical options. On uh, on the console, however, the game should look a little bit better on like the Pro and the Xbox One X. But no matter where you play it, it will run at 30 frames per second. Uh, the developer didn't really say exactly why it's doing this, but the game does have competitive elements. And you could see the argument being that they want to uh, maintain a, a, a fair balance between people playing on all consoles so that if I'm on an X, I can't get 60 frames per second, which is a competitive advantage in certain circumstances. Um, do you think that this is going to become a wider problem for the Xbox One X? Uh, it's, it's more powerful than all the other consoles on the market right now. Yeah, I mean, it could be, right? Uh, it's, it's, kind of, it's weird because typically like competition on a, a console like that is is more casual anyways. Right. So maybe you shouldn't, but it depends <laughs> for, for like shooters and like strategy and stuff like that. Nobody's doing like the tournaments or what have you on that version uh, for fighting games. Maybe that's more of a problem because fighting games are typically usually just are played on those platforms or like games that have like the co-marketing deal, like call of duty happens on yeah. PlayStation four because that's... Sony's paying for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, it is a kind of this weird thing, right? Like, cause you know, you're, you're, ta- you're talking about all these bells and whistles, but then you have the problem anyways, that is kind of always the problem with these sort of things is that it, it impacts some games way more than others. Right. I, there, there is the possibility and no evidence to support this, uh, that, you know, Activision has the co-marketing deal with Sony and Sony might have something in that contract or they might just have a verbal agreement saying, hey, you can't make it better on, on an Xbox system. A lot of people accused Ubisoft of doing this in the early days of this of this generation when uh, the the PlayStation 4 version of Assassin's Creed Unity, I think, ran at 900p oh, on PlayStation this. 4 when most games were running at 1080p and then 900p on Xbox One. Uh, and a lot of people said, oh, Ubisoft must be doing this because Microsoft has, Microsoft has the co-marketing deal. So Microsoft said, hey, you can't make it look better on a Sony console. Ubisoft came out and said they weren't doing this, but the wording was maybe vague enough that they could have been doing something or they just weren't trying. And they yeah. could say that they you know, weren't actively downgrading it, but they never did the work. Um, so, yeah, it, maybe that's that could be happening in the case of Destiny, but I could still see some other developers making a, a similar uh, choice for different reasons. Uh, but at the same time, I, I don't think that parity is actually going to be that big a deal. It's going to affect a game here or there, and it's going to fade away like over time. I think if like Destiny 3 comes out in two years and we still aren't onto the next generation, they'll just like, fuck that it. happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll be fuck it. Let's just make it 60 frames per second on the more powerful consoles. No one's yeah. going to care at this point. Uh, sure. I, I think it's just going to naturally fade out over time. Um, at the same time, I, I like the idea of parity on consoles in certain ways. I was I wrote a story about this, like Player Unknown's Battlegrounds on PC. You have to turn down your graphic settings to the very lowest, no matter how powerful your system is, because you get a competitive advantage and everyone else is playing like that. So you have to make your game look like crap if you want to have a chance of winning. Uh-huh. Um, 
I like the idea of the console version of the Xbox one version of player unknowns battlegrounds, because I know everyone's graphic settings are going to be exactly the same. Right. Um, and it might look a little bit better on Xbox one X, but the, uh, the, 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 anything that affects gameplay should be exactly the same. So there's an upside to this as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, I don't got yeah, much so, more to say about that. No. Yeah, that's fair. And I don't think there is much more to say. I, I, parody i don't think it's that as big a problem as some people are making it out to be okay so mike yeah i think that's gonna wrap it up um i'm still i think the biggest thing to take away from this episode is that i need to go put 80 dollars away and be trolling amazon.com to see if i can pre-order one of these things has the pre-order gone gone up anywhere i don't think so i think maybe in europe it has i don't know if anyone's reviewing this on our site it's me so i'm golden that's that, that that's true that's good mr point. pc so, yeah. gaming boy i'm in charge of the yeah. retro gaming channel which i just established <laughs> right now it just happened it's gonna it happen. yeah okay that's fair um i'm gonna intercept all your emails from now on and try to get that <laughs> good luck um yeah uh so yeah let's go ahead let's wrap this up um mike why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at tolkoto that's t-o-l-k-o-t-o I'm also always doing the Exploding Bro podcast with my brother, which is another games uh, and other kind of things podcast. That's at ebpodcast.com. And I'm always on GamesBeat, writing things, gamesbeat.com. And I am Jeffrey Gruck. Jeff Gruck? Is that what you wrote here? Jeff Gruck. Yeah, I, just, I just replaced with these of C. It's just going down it's the alphabet. Very- well done. Yeah, let's just do this. Through. Yeah, the whole thing. I'm, in, I'm into it. Um, Jeff Grubb on Twitter. Uh, uh, and I'm coming out in early 2018 on, on Twitter with the rest of the PlayStation 4 lineup. Um, and I sometimes make videos on YouTube. Uh, you can get those at YouTube.com. Uh, is that YouTube. still on there? I wrote that a while ago. Yeah. I don't know if I ever actually remember reading that one. Maybe I did. <laughs> it's, it's, still a good, it's still a good joke. So I'm into it. Um, we'll be back next week. Yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah, just fix it right now. You should just put the joke in for next time right now. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's make our outro for every week now. Open salami. Hey. Okay, everybody. Uh, be sure to stick around uh, for the interview between Ken Pallister, myself, and Austin Grossman, where we all discuss VR and its far-flung future. Stick around for that right now, and then we'll see you next week. Hey, I'm back. Jeff Grubb again. And joining me is... Austin Grossman, go ahead and say hi to everybody, Austin. Hi, I'm Austin Grossman, longtime game developer, longtime science fiction writer. And Kim Pallister. Hi, this is uh, Kim Pallister, and I'm the director of the VR Center of Excellence at Intel. So I'm having these guys join me because they had an excellent conversation at the GamesBeat Summit a few months ago. Uh, it, it has already been a few months. Time's flying by. Um uh, where they had a really great conversation about VR, about game development in that space. Uh, and uh, as we were saying kind of right before we got started, the far future, you know, the far flung ramifications of this technology. Uh, and what I want to do is bring these guys back together again to, to discuss this topic a little bit more, uh, go a little bit more in depth and maybe kind of pick up, you know, where we left off uh, and, and kind of give these guys a chance to really dig down deep. So uh, why don't we just get, why don't we get started? Um, how like where are your guys' thoughts on this space on you know our science fiction future of VR? Uh, well, I, I think we touched on this in the talk. Uh, the initial bit of good news is that uh, people have been dreaming of VR for a long time. Even the older older science fiction includes uh, versions of of VR. There's clearly like a deep want for it, and the fact that it's finally uh, arrived has is kind of mind-boggling. I can think at least 60 years back, probably a lot longer. Uh, 
uh, on the occurrence of VR in uh, in science fiction. And so, how does that, you know, that dream of VR, the uh, the ones that 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 art artists and authors were coming up with in, in their minds, compared to what we have today? Uh, it feels in some ways more elegant than I think some people imagined it would be, and at the same time, more clunky. Does that sound well, right? Well, yeah, I think it's still pretty much. Uh, it's it's very early days in terms of the the real world uh, implementation, and so we're nowhere near where some of the stuff is imagined. But it's interesting to see um, kind of parallels in terms of uh, the, the the types of uses. Let's say yeah, you know, one one thing we touched on briefly is the types of uses that that people envisioned um, these things being used for. Right. In some cases, you had, let's say, a particular like uh, what I would call kind of a one-off usage, like a training or a destination or a particular experience, where you know a great example would be like a Star Trek's holodeck. Right. They would use it for you know I'm going to go jump in and do this one thing or have this one experience and jump back out. And then there were other examples where there'd be like a whole parallel world that continually existed in something mm-hmm. like Snow Crash or in, if you take the uh, the novel uh, Lady of Mazes, where there were like many parallel worlds ex- existing, right? And so if you look at the types of things that are coming to fruition now in VR, it's certainly in that first vein of like a particular experience, a particular uh, training or destination or small game. But there are people kind of imagining those later spaces and starting to build the foundations of those. So, so you're, you're saying it's not sort of not omnipresent like the, like the internet itself or like telephony, right? It's still mm-hmm. like a, a drop-in uh, experience. That's right. It's it's not yet omnipresent, but it's interesting to see people kind of imagining that and starting to think about what what building blocks we need to get there. Kim, when you say early days, I, I, I think then maybe not even really fully describes how early on it is. Like it's, it's so early that it's like the first minute. If like this whole timeline is a year or something like that, it feels like it's going to take a very long time for this to fully integrate into our society as a whole. Like it's not just, you know, the, 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 the very beginning in terms of, you know, we're still in the beginning of game development, you know, we're in the first 30 years of that, but like, it feels like it's going to take uh, maybe a full century for this stuff to fully uh, come together in a way that we are having those experiences that you were describing that were the more uh, dreamlike scenarios. Is is that right? Yeah, absolutely. What? I think that um, there's. Uh, I'll I'll say a thought or two on that, and I'd be curious as to uh, Austin's uh, views as well. But I think that a you know if you view the adoption of any of these technologies, like um, the idea of uh, you know when when we were having a conversation the other day about uh, when when. Google Glass first kind of was uh, being discussed and, and uh, you know, was, was fairly new. Um, there was this whole stigma around, hey, you're wearing a camera around. I don't know if you're taking my picture, mm-hmm. right? W- one could imagine that uh, as, as AR glasses and, uh, and, and these types of devices become uh, you know, viable and then eventually uh, omnipresent, you know, there, there probably will be a, a, a social kind of... Uh, uh, protocol around, hey, are, are you augmenting me right now, right? Are, are you viewing me? And uh, if, if you say happy birthday to me, are you, did you really know it was my birthday or did a, a bubble <laughs> pop over my head and told you that, right? And so it, there's probably a lot of parallels even outside of VR in terms of if we watch how um, uh, cell phones have, uh, you know, the, the, the 
protocol of how you know what's polite or impolite in terms of how you interact with your phone and uh, when you switch the ringer off and when it's okay to have a conversation with someone while looking down at a screen has kind of evolved and changed, right? And I think we'll see, uh, you know, as fast as the technology moves, the social piece of it probably has a kind of a, you know, longer evolution for, for us to go through. What do you think, Austin? Presumably my device will tell me what your device is doing, so I can tell if you're looking <laughs> me up. But, um, uh, yeah, when you start to go think in that direction, yeah, the, the whole question of social protocols starts to ping-pong back and forth very, very fast. There'll be, like, mm-hmm. different, there'll be different channels, right? There'll be open channels. There'll be private channels. Uh, there'll be channels that different cliques have with one another. Um, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting time to be a, a primate uh, as, as this all comes together. Uh, although, now I'm harking back to what you said earlier, the phrase you used, you know, it'll be 100 years before VR fully comes together. The whole phrase or concept of it's fully coming together it basically means when it arrives at the thing that science fiction said it was going to be, right? Isn't that exactly yeah. kind of what you mean by that? When it's fully totally. embodied, when there's like a neural interface, or mm-hmm. at least absolutely solid you know, hand tracking, uh, when it's, you know, when it's, um, uh, <clears throat> feedback on all the senses, right? Yes. When it's seen seamlessly, you know, uh, uh, almost indistinguishable from the, uh, from, from the real world, but it was still stuck with the science fiction concept of VR that we're, that we're driving toward, which is really, really odd because we are, we're moving to, we're, we're working on the dream and without actually having like a really practical reason for it. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, which I find completely fascinating. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to, uh, y- you know, it, it, if if you up level and just think about um, personal computing technology uh, generically, you know, there probably was an early point in, uh, you know, the, the uh, MIT in the 1950s or in the very early days of the personal computer in the early to mid 70s where people had some science fiction view of what your uh, computer would do, right? Uh, pro- probably the most famous of which was, you know, like every early PC had some some part of their marketing material that said, and you can store your recipes on it, right? <laughs> and, and as if this was like some magical thing, like, uh, hey, it'll help, you, it'll help you be a chef. And, and the reality was that there were a few kind of killer use cases or, or, you know, practical use cases or entertainment use cases that, that were enough to push it. And then it, it just kind of evolved along with us. Right. And, and it was, it's not that computing one day suddenly arrived and it wasn't viable one day. And then the next day we reached an end point and we were done. It just became part of our lives and evolved, you know, uh, on an ongoing basis. And so we'll probably see that with, with things like VR and AR as well, even in their own accord, where you know, um, you know, for for some uses, it has arrived today, and for other ones, it will take longer to uh, to arrive, and it'll just you know grow more interwoven with what we do. Right, and the as William Gibson says, the street finds its own uses for things. Uh, probably, we will intend uses that will not come about, and there will be entirely other uses which we didn't intend until the market got hold of it. That's right, but we'll still be telling people they can put their recipes on it. Yes, and I, I for one, await await that that opportunity. (laughs) 
I, uh, I always um, think about it this way. I, you know, I write about VR a lot. And when, when you're writing about VR, it is hard to imagine the audience for it. It's, you know, especially if they haven't already used VR and don't understand it. Uh, so what it comes down to a lot of times is I find the stories that people care about are the ones where they could imagine why they would want it or why they would be using it. And a lot of times, you know, not to get crude, that it comes down to, you know, how, how it affects their sex and how it affects making money. Um, I, I think the, the, in a lot of the use cases that people are pitching for VR and AR right now are these, these dreamy sci-fi concepts that don't always uh, acknowledge our, our very base nature. Um, do you, is is it kind of this? Uh, is that maybe the battle where where with the communication around VR, where we are dealing with uh, these long time dreams meeting the reality of of not just the physical limitations, but just human nature? I don't. You know, that's not something I worry about as much when I think of the precursors to to VR, uh, to to the big immersive, um, big ticket mediums. I think backwards to from video games to film to Wagnerian opera to uh, panoramic paintings to novels to medieval churches to cave art. I don't know. That, none of them seem particularly terrible, except, of course, the novel, which, as we know, is awful. Um, but <laughs> honestly, uh, when I think of immersive media of the past, I think of transcendence. I think of, I think of uh, high, powerful emotions. I think of community. I'm not worried about VR uh, becoming, you know, too trashy for us. I'm actually an optimist when, when, where that's concerned. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm of the same. Oh, ahead, I'm of the same vein. I mean, the it doesn't need to be uh, to take a very dry view. It doesn't need to be that like, hey, show me how this can help me do my job better or make money in some sense, or or to the other end of the spectrum, you know, show me how it uh, empowers me in the ultimate fantasy or whatever. It, it can be things in between. It can be things that are far more trivial, especially as the especially as you look at it becoming kind of more ubiquitous and lower cost and easier to absorb. It's a little bit like when the, uh, you know, again, to draw another parallel, when when the uh, Apple Newton first arrived and it was big and clunky and really expensive and it was like, you know, this can be your digital Rolodex, but you already had a Rolodex. It, you know, wasn't that killer, but over time, you know, the, the uses for a, 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 you know, a smartphone today don't need to be massively empowering to push you over the edge to getting one. It can be a, mm-hmm. a you know, collection of things and each and each on their own can be moderately trivial, but still compelling. Right. And is the, the picture around it is very similar as well. Go, go ahead. Austin. Is that a good model for VR though? VR seems like a, like a sort of, you know, it's, it, you know, if a, if a, um, a smartphone is like a scalpel, a, a VR is like a howitzer. It's a, it's a big thing that you put. Oh, in, a, absolutely! I just, in yeah, I just meant in the sense that you, uh, it doesn't need to be the, you know, you don't need to have necessarily the killer use case that says you will make fifty thousand dollars a year more if you buy one of these HMDs. <laughs> like it, it can be more trivial. It can still be a very immersive thing, but like, you know, a, a lot of this today is starting off on things like uh, 3D games. There's an audience today that will pay for a highly immersive. Mm-hmm. And yet, arguably, you know, frivolous pastime, right? Of of just mm-hmm. a, an entertainment usage. That's fine, right? It's a that's a great use of the technology. Going back to the social thing a little bit, I, I 
you guys talked about Google Glass. Uh, doesn't it feel like it's already changing, though, uh, like the, the snap glasses? Um, it, it's just a matter of the audience that's using them. I, I think the people were very uh, reluctant to accept the glass holes coming into their bars and taking photos of them. But it was, when it's young, hip people who are putting it on their Snapchat timelines and half the people that would complain about something like that don't understand Snapchat. Uh, so they're just kind of accepting these these weird glasses coming into their spaces a little bit more easily. Um it, it, it feels like that it, it it feels like VR would have to take a similar path. Maybe AR uh, would kind of have to be coupled in there as well, where it's just going to it's just going to sneak up on people uh, in a way that they don't understand. And so it just becomes uh, a naturalized. Sure. That way. Does that make sense? I mean, maybe maybe the thing that snuck up on people was just uh, people got far more used to having their picture taken. But I'm still not mm-hmm. sure that that uh, e- even those are the snap glasses are very, uh, you know, cartoonish well, certain, in appearance i'm still yeah. not sure that that uh people are going to be received well if they wear them into the restroom right i i wonder because i feel like yeah selfie culture smartphones feels like uh, a gateway drug to augmented reality but it mm-hmm. still feels like virtual reality is a it's a different animal right uh smartphones got cool and hip and selfie culture and snapchat got cool and hip vr feels like another creature off in a different corner am i am i wrong about that no, I think I think I, you're I right, but I wonder whether there's something. Let's say, uh, if 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 the cell phone selfie culture was the gateway, perhaps the idea, and maybe gateway is the wrong term, but uh, perhaps the idea that uh, you know a family member of mine may be uh, looking down and highly immersed in their phone, and I and even though they're physically present in the room, I have to kind of check whether they're available for conversation. Is the you know, the precursor or the gateway to, oh, they're sitting in the room, but they have an HMD on, and that indicates to me that they're in another world right now, and and I need to somehow signal to them, hey, I need you back in meat space. Yeah. So wait, mm-hmm. uh, following that, do you think, I mean, and you're in a better position to answer this than I am, Kim. Do you think yeah. that basically teenagers will be the early adapters for VR and that parents will be forced to adopt VR uh, um, just to, just to, to stay socially in touch? With their uh, children, it would be like Bray Bradbury's the the Velt, uh, which is the earliest VR. Yeah, story I, I know. I I don't think that we're going to see, and I kind of hope we don't see a space where people are so immersed in VR that the only way for their <laughs> their you know, <laughs> friends and relatives to reach them is to, to step into the metaverse. Otherwise, they they're lost forever. You know, well, I, so, I can only reach my mother through Facebook. Like she's so Facebook has checkmated me on that one. I'm just thinking, can mm-hmm. VR do the same thing? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting to think about. I think that uh, you know, if if you're in a space where people reach someone through digital means, there will probably be some kinds of uh, bridges or uh, you know, comms channels or or, or uh, wormholes between them, right? Like what one could imagine a space that says, uh, in the same way that I can receive notifications on my phone that somebody on Facebook's trying to reach me or vice versa. You know, perhaps there's a, uh, I'm, I'm in my VR space and there's a, an opportunity for a notification to say someone connected to the internet in some context would like to converse with you. And maybe if they're in VR, I can, it can be a richer, richer conversation, but uh, yeah, it's an interesting kind of a uh, uh, rabbit hole of thought to go down. Just another medium for people to block me on. That's what I'm thinking. Doesn't the social aspect always just feel like it's going to be more AR than VR, though? Uh, The whole description there of cutting yourself off in such a way that you have to bring the person back into meat space, uh, it it 
describes a, a world I think most people will, are would find repellent, um, and, and at least down in a very you know, no, I, I, I actually disagree because I think that, um, again, like people somehow think that these immersive, sometimes think that these immersive worlds are, are uh, anti-social. But if you look at the, um, you know, spaces like uh, like MMOs, like uh, World of Warcraft I mean, and others, people rec, can have rec room on VR very, is really great at this, yeah. yeah, but certainly like, you know, again, uh, uh Warcraft or lineage or any of these others, people can have a very uh, rich interaction with many thousands of others, right? And so that space mm -hmm. can exist. And I think VR offers the opportunity over time for those types of things to be uh, even even richer, more immersive, and allow a, a wider uh, variety of types of experiences. Everything from a rec room, uh, you know, or uh, um, you know the the you know, the few kind of uh, small parlor room type of social VR experiments mm -hmm. that we see happening now up to these massive scale things. Um, so that's not antisocial, but it means that we have to, over time, learn a, uh, you know, kind of a evolve and learn a protocol for like, w w what's the way that we go back and forth between the real world? In the same way that if I was playing World of Warcraft in my basement, and I had my headphones on. You know, uh, is is my wife okay to come up and tap me on the shoulder, or does she consider it rude that I'm not ready to, you know, uh, hear if she calls from from upstairs, right? Say, hey, it's time to step out of that world and back into the the real world, right? So I, I think these are things that uh, you know people will figure out the right way to do this over time. Yeah, I'm with I'm with Kim on this. Um, uh, I think in social the, the body language in social VR can be quite eloquent, and I think it adds an enormously higher sense of, of, of the personal and uh, uh, and the present uh, uh, as compared to World of Warcraft, as compared to chat rooms. Uh, um, I think it's going to be, a, I mean, in that sense, a very human technology, uh, even uh, for communicating with someone remotely. There's an interesting um, uh, treatment of that, uh, of something related to that concept in the um in the, the Lady of Mazes novel that I mentioned earlier, where uh, as people in, 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 that, um, in that book, the authors describe kind of uh, multiple levels of virtual spaces that all sit on top of one another and are somewhat kind of like you can kind of leap from one space, uh, one, one virtual world to another. And they had this, this concept of um, you have uh, kind of uh, bots that represent you and can stand in in your space, and they're kind of uh, the 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 point I was getting to is that in this book they're both trusted enough and people are accustomed to to them enough that they it kind of doesn't matter whether they're interacting with the the real person or the stand-in AI for them because you know the AI is trusted mm -hmm. enough. Like if I got in an argument with it with the AI. It's probably because of something you would have said anyway, you know. <laughs> right. So um, it, 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 there's a treatment they have of it that kind of says that people, you know, at least as this author uh, uh, puts it, people get kind of um, comfortable leaping back and forth between spaces and have evolved a kind of uh, mechanism to deal with it. I want to um, wrap up here pretty soon, but I think maybe one last uh, thought, one last topic that we can discuss, and then we'll uh, go ahead and close this out. Um, what do you guys maybe think the the business models are going to be for for VR and AR? I always imagine AR, the like the the dream idea would be 
um, like skins, like people putting skins on the world and other people around them and pe- like microtransactions to sell those skins in the same way people do in video games right now. Uh, and in the same way people do in their social apps with the uh, various uh, emojis or whatever that they purchase and stickers. Um, it seems like that's kind of maybe a long way off, but it does seem like the kind of thing that I think would be the uh, you know billion dollar idea in AR or VR. Well, I hope it's that and not advertising. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. gonna I was gonna go to the same space. I think that in 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 VR there's a pretty clear uh, uh, you know it, it, the the usual answer to to that kind of question is the the right business model is all of them. All of the business models will exist in some form or other, right? It's a question of like which ones are the big ones, and we certainly see things like wh- whether it's in the consumer entertainment or whether it's in the professional side a you know, well-crafted, uh, you know, authored um, uh, uh, experience, you know, there's, there's a market for that and people will pay for it, whether it's a game or whether it's a training application or a, uh, you know, uh, you know, view a vacation property or, or envision your model home in, uh, in 3D. Um, you know, the, the people will be able to do apps like that. I think the AR case is... is uh, a little more interesting because people are still uh, it's it, it feels a little bit earlier in people figuring out what the you know what what does an AR game really mean or how does it evolve and then on the and on the professional side per, per Austin point it's easy to imagine many 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 different kind of advertising supported uh, models right you're you're walking down the street and you're going past the restaurant and I want to tell you that there's a you know, special on right now, um, but I, I hope that that's not the predominant model, and that or or that you know the users are given some uh, way you know level of ad, ad blocking when it's in their eyeballs. You know, can't can't the, can't the government just do this? Can my can my taxes different? <laughs> Isn't that the, the best idea? <laughs> or or does that give you a different type of advertising? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. The brainwashing that yeah. we all need. Uh, all right, guys, I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, what I like to do now is give everyone who comes on the show a chance to tell people where they can find you on the Internet. And if you have anything you want to plug, feel free to do that here. Uh, why don't we go ahead and start with you, Kim? Tell people where they can find you. Yeah, so I'm uh, Kim Pal, K-I-M-P-A-L-L uh, on Twitter. And uh, they can just find more info about what we're doing at Intel at uh, intel.com slash VR. Yeah, and Austin? I'm Austin underscore Grossman on Twitter, which was my my social network of choice, um, uh, and austingrossman.com. My latest book is called Crooked. And that's going to do it. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Again, I'm Jeff Grubb, Jeff Grubb on Twitter. Uh, we'll be back with more of the Games Beat Designs podcast pretty soon. Thank you.